0: And welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. It's episode 15, people. It's the one you've all been waiting for. Today, we are talking sciatica. So we've got Tom Jessen on the line with us today. Tom is a physiotherapist and specialist in persistent pain. He's the one you want to listen to. Tom is a physiotherapist originally from the north of England. He's now living over in the States and he's written at length about sciatica, its causes and its effects. We've nabbed him today for a long podcast to talk you through from top to bottom. This podcast is packed with uh, hints, tips, with information all about your sciatica. So, if you've got sciatica, if you think you know someone with it, if you just want to know what it means, this is the podcast for you. If you like what we're doing here and what we're putting out, please like and subscribe to the podcast. If you really like it, share it with a friend. Let everyone know this is what you want to be listening to. Episode 15, sciatica. Let's go
1: welcome back we are live again on the back pain podcast and today we are joined by tom Jessen, talking all things sciatica tom welcome to the podcast hi rob and dave thank you very much for inviting me thank you
0: hi tom great to have you on mate
1: yeah it's it's good to be here fantastic so do you want to tell us to start with just a little bit about your background as a physiotherapist kind of how you got into it and then how that led to you becoming you know one of the I would class as the experts at the current time on (laughs) sciatica.
2: Sure. I mean, I'm just a bog standard physiotherapist, really. I don't have anything special to say about myself. Um, I'm from uh, the north of England, uh, from Northumberland, uh, and practice sort of most of my uh, career uh, up in Newcastle, but also uh, a bit in Lincolnshire as well. And my experience is mostly uh, in what we call musculoskeletal outpatients. So if you've got a bad back or a bad knee, you go to your GP and you get sent to someone like me. And I've got some experience too in working with a more specialized pain clinic. Uh, So for the more uh, complex pain conditions that don't go away as we'd hope them to. Um, So it's sort of a bit of a bog standard physio really, except that as you say, I have come across this interest, particularly in sciatica. And I think as most people get interested in things, it's been a bit of an accident. I didn't decide to. um, But I just started kind of researching it one day, put my research out there, wrote an article, did a little bit on Twitter and got a little bit of attention for it. Um, so I thought, well, I'm probably onto something here. So I just kept going, really. And uh, people invited me to give one or two talks. And, you know, I've started um, putting other stuff out there and just developed my interest. It's one of the good things about this job, isn't it? You've always, you know, there's always something you can kind of get your teeth into. Um, but this is the first time. You know, I think this is the first time I've ever really, I'm just thinking, written or spoken directly to uh, people with pain. You know, more am is usually talking to other physios, other chiropractors. So I think it's a really good opportunity for me to try to get the message out
1: there directly to the people who need to hear it. Brilliant.
0: Absolutely. This is
1: the place, Tom. This is the place. <laughs> and that's exactly why we wanted well, to get you on, really. So should we start then by talking about you know the name sciatica gets thrown around a lot, and people, everyone listening, will have heard of sciatica. You know every patient that we've seen has has heard of sciatica. They might think they have it when they don't. They might have it but not think they have it. You know, and and you know it gets used almost interchangeably for lots of different conditions. So, are you able to tell us what sciatica is? You know, does that have a definite diagnosis, or is it often just labelled incorrectly?
2: So, um, sciatica as you allude to, is a bit of a vague word. So it doesn't really describe anything exactly. So if you were to crack open a medical textbook, it's probably not going to say sciatica. Or if it does say sciatica, it'll then kind of be a bit careful and describe exactly what it's saying. Um, And the kind of vagueness of the word is it originally comes from kind of the Greek word for hip, but it also kind of seems to point towards the sciatic nerve, um, and that's probably the the most common meaning that it has these days is people, people describe in pain the sciatic nerve so the sciatic nerve is a big uh, thick really kind of thick tough nerve that goes down the back of your leg and then sort of branches out and eventually arrives in different forms in your fo- in your foot um mm-hmm. and probably most people have experienced even if you don't have sciatica some sciatic nerve symptoms so often uh, if i'm sitting on a chair awkwardly kind of my leg will go dead you know and i'll have to shake it out that's because i've sort of just sat on my sciatic nerve and compressed things and it's got a bit grumpy um so we use that word sciatica to refer to any problem really that affects that sciatic nerve going down the back of your leg and without going into too much detail, that can be all sorts of things. It can be muscle things, it can be neuropathies and that sort of thing. So, as you kind of suggested, it, it refers to a, a set of symptoms, like, you know, nerve pain down the back of your leg, but it doesn't really refer to the cause. Um, so, in that sense, some, sometimes medical people, physios, chiros, they don't really like the word because it doesn't really. It's not really very precise, if you see what I mean.
1: It's like saying headache. I'd say,
2: yeah, headache, yeah. And just say, So you say, well, your head hurts, but what's causing it? Yeah. So, so- I was
1: going to say, so when, mo- when i let you finish your point, but when most people think of sciatica, you know, in my experience and probably in both of your experience as well, that they're, they're thinking about the kind of pain in the, in the leg. Um, and that might be that mm-hmm. electric shock pain. Some people might think it as, you know, kind of the dull aching pain. Some people might just think of it as pain into the bottom. Some people might associate it with pins and needles. Is there a typical, you know, condition that you would then, you know, that that will give rise to sciatica or, you know, should we break down the kind of the different terminology first?
2: So the most common condition as people probably would already expect is something affecting the nerve right in your back. So in the spine. So there are other things floating around, like piriformis syndrome, and um, maybe we can come on to those, those later. There's other things that can affect the sciatic nerve, <clears throat> just as as you said, there's lots of things that can cause a headache. But the main thing, the most common thing, and maybe the most problematic thing, is something that affects the nerve, makes it irritated, pissed off, when it's in the spine, right up at the top.
1: And, and when you say the top of the spine, you mean the lower back in terms of the, where, where that nerve mm. starts. Okay. Yeah. So there yeah. are lots of... T- I mean, maybe...
2: Sorry, mate. No, you carry on. Talking over you again. No, my fault. You well, carry I was going to say, maybe it, it's good to kind of break things down because I, I always think it's nice to lay out the canvas of, of what we're talking about. We don't have any pictures here, although it did occur to me that I could probably put some together for after and we could, you know, for anyone watching, we could make a little YouTube video, couldn't we? Brilliant um absolutely and um but we could do a bit of an anatomy lesson couldn't we just so people have an idea of what's going on with the nerves fantastic generally google images is pretty good so if you were to if someone's listening to this now and they were to google probably the best thing to google would be to google lumbar nerve root so l-u-m-b-a-r nerve root and you'll probably get a bunch of pictures of, of what i'm describing but the, the main thing to sort of describe is that the nervous system, so the kind of network of, of nerves that you have in your body, is all connected. And so right up from your brain at the top, which kind of manages everything and processes everything, down to the tiniest little nerves in your toes, they're all connected. Um, and like a big network, sometimes we just call it a network. Um, and the nerves come from the brain, and they come down through your back and that's what we call the spinal cord. So there's a big highway of nerves uh, coming down from your brain, down through your spine, um, and that's part of the job of your spine is to protect that kind of highway of nerves that we call your spinal cord. And as it goes down your spine, lots of smaller nerves, just like a, a main highway kind of roads branch off, lots of smaller nerves branch off into your uh, into your arms and into your legs and into your into your chest and all that stuff. Probably the best thing to do is to almost like put a hand on your low back, you know, when you get that kind of normal back pain, like when you're bending over everyone gets a little bit of back pain, put a hand on your low back and almost imagine in there hanging down, there's loads of little nerves that are branched off your spinal cord and they're all getting ready to go off into your legs, if that makes sense.
1: So they um, come out of the bones, uh, yeah, out of the bones of the spinal cord and then they come out and then we will all run down the legs as, as multiple different nerves, yeah.
2: Absolutely. yeah, And they kind of branch off into the legs. Um, And now they do a couple of jobs. The main things they do, they're going to move your legs. So if you want to uh, wriggle your toes or kind of stand on your tiptoes, your brain will send a signal down the spinal cord down that highway, and then it'll branch off at the right nerve and arrive at the right muscle in your toe and you can wiggle your toes. Um, And it works the other way too. So they'll they'll tell you what's going on in the world. So if you stub your toe, a little message will go up that nerve, enter that highway, and end up in your brain. And your brain will kind of quickly work out. You've just stubbed your toe. And then that's like that one second pause, and you kind of go, oh. You know about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So they, they move your body, and they tell you what's going on in the world.
0: we've got incoming and outgoing information zipping up and down that information line, that information highway, if you like.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's fantastic. It's such an important system in your body. So the nerves are really strong. I think that's quite an important thing to say. Um, Nerves can take a lot of tension, you know, Um, you can kind of pull them and yank them around and you know, you can do it in anatomy classes. They're very strong things. Um, but they are quite sensitive as anyone who, if you've ever hit your funny bone, uh, yeah. that's a nerve. Um, so you kind of, it's much more painful than just kind of uh, your regular pain, isn't it? So they're strong, but they're very sensitive, uh, which is why often sciatica can, can be extremely
1: painful. So then that the, yes. the pain then, which you know, people will describe as sciatica, that pain in the sciatic nerve, obviously the, if you stub your toe and that pain is going up that nerve to your brain, That's not sciatica. Mm -hmm. So that's pain in, you know, you might get pain in the foot, but it's the same Mm -hmm. nerve. So what gets irritated along that pathway for the pain to go down the leg, if that makes sense?
2: Absolutely. And that's where I kind of said at the beginning, probably the best thing to Google is lumbar, which just refers to the spine, nerve root. And the nerve root is the first part of the nerve that branches off from that highway and heads down the head's down the leg. So if you imagine you're exiting the motorway to kind of turn off, it's that little bit there. The slip road. Before you get onto the by road or whatever, the slip road, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at that little point, it's quite a short little bit of nerve, um, but, but it is quite exposed. Uh, so we'll, we can maybe get onto it in a bit more detail later, but, for example, if you have a problem with the discs in your spine, then that can irritate that little bit of nerve. Uh, if you have some uh, age-related change, so, some arthritis in your spine, that can irritate that nerve as well. Um, and when that nerve gets irritated, it starts sending off all sorts of uh, kind of unwanted junk signals up to your brain. So instead of getting the right signal when you stub your toe, you're getting all sorts of signals that you don't need to be getting. Um, it's, it's. I always kind of imagine it as being kind of pissed off and irritated and grumbly and just kind of shouting at you for no reason type of thing. That's why you get loads of messages that you don't need. And that can be very, very painful.
1: And then depending on how, how irritated it is, does that correlate with how painful it is? So if, if it's really, really painful, does that mean the compression is worse or that it's just more annoyed at that time?
2: That's a really good question. I think the simple answer is that there's not a clear relationship. Um, and we might be getting into the weeds a little bit now, but there are many people who have uh, compression of that nerve with no pain. That's actually not terribly common, but it's not, it's not a terribly weird thing to happen either. So you, that nerve can be compressed with no pain. And again, I would say if, if you were kind of pressed on your, your funny bone, it doesn't actually hurt. You know, it, it, They're made of tough stuff what has to happen for it to be painful is it has to be irritated and inflamed in some way. So you get like a chemical reaction in the nerve um, and that um, I'm trying to try not to get kind of skip too far ahead. Um, but that's kind of what makes things complicated basically where you get these situations where some people have uh, that nerve being compressed and squashed, but they have no pain. And some people have an absolutely clear MRI. And I'm sure there's people listening who will have had an MRI with nothing squashing that nerve. It's absolutely fine. It's got plenty of space, but it still bloody hurts. And often that's because the nerve has also become injured and inflamed um, maybe by a previous compression, that kind of thing. So to answer your question, and unfortunately the relationship is not that clear between like how much it's squashed and the pain. You can have pain without anything, on your MRI and vice versa. You can have an MRI that looks pretty bad, but you don't feel anything.
1: So I think that actually, you know, a lot, as much as, you know, people don't like uncertainty is actually Mm -hmm. also, you can put a very positive spin on that, that, you mm-hmm. see lots of people and I'm not going to kind of you know we, we can save imaging for a whole in MRIs for a whole nother episode but you can have you know people with you know what might we've spoken about this before about arthritis with you know air quotes awful looking scans with huge disc bulges yeah. or you know severe age-related mm-hmm. change in their spine and they don't have any pain so when people are in pain mm-hmm. and their, their, their scans come back with these you know air quotes awful things it doesn't necessarily mean that they're broken or that their pain's never going to go away. Or So it's actually in a positive world that people go, well, actually, loads of people have got spines that look like mine and they mm-hmm. don't have any pain at all. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, there is no correlation like that. So it should be a, a good takeaway message sometimes.
2: Yeah, I think it's a really important message to get out there. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to say, say it on this podcast is your scan is not your destiny. It just shows one angle of the the biggest chunkiest bones in your body, but it's not showing you know all the little things that are going on on a microscopic level, and all those things as we'll get onto when we talk about the treatment you have some control over as well. So it can be really depressing for people when they get that scan, and you know I've had one myself. I've got an MRI lodged in my memory. It's about it's probably almost ten years old now, but of um, a big disc bulge. Uh, and even though I have no pain, it's still kind of that thing that your memory holds onto is this image on your, on your MRI. Um, but reality is much more complex than that image for sure.
1: It's not, not quite black and white really, is it? Mm. So Absolutely. Dave, you're sorry about to come back on that. Saying,
0: this might go some way to explain as well. So we've got uh, <clears throat> people who have pain or uh, pain when there is not necessarily large findings on their MRI or vice versa. Um, For those people that don't have uh, a big compression or haven't undergone a large movement and then get pain, this helps a bit with that as well. Mm. It's not a direct correlation, more force, more pressure, more hurt equals pain. So if you're out there listening and it takes something very small to set your pain off, if it's the wrong type of chair... Um, uh you know sitting on a small ledge bending down to get something it doesn't mean that you've created a huge uh reaction in your lower back it just means that nerve is irritated enough to be registering that as those those negative signals going up and down again um which can be very frustrating when the person next to you is on the same chair and they, they have no uh, no issues you know um uh, but that's going to help to explain that that side of things as well because it's, it's not particularly fair pain all the time is it Tom and Rob you know it's not linear and as easily explained as we would like
2: hundred percent agree and it's not fair is a nice way of, of putting it because it feels really <laughs> frustrating sometimes it's not it's not is it um but yeah once a, a part of your your body any part not just the, the nerve roots that we're talking about once it's sensitive and sore sometimes it takes even just a little thing to trip it off as you say the wrong chair sometimes it can be other things going on in your life Um, so stressful situations can increase the levels of stress and inflammation in your body and even that can kick it off as well Um, that's something that a lot of a lot of times it takes takes a while to recognize that Um, so it can be Mm -hmm. physical things or it can be things in your environment things that are going on in your life uh, lack of sleep that kind of thing all those things increase the the levels of kind of inflammation the, the levels of the bad hormones that we don't want in your body as well and all those things can kind of tip things over the edge as well and make your, your body more
1: sensitive and sore yeah and we spoke about this at length with absolutely I think with, <laughs> deep with um oh, sorry Dave on the on the fibromyalgia episode um and also the chronic pain episode with, with kind mm-hmm. of Derek Griffin um going back I can't remember off the top of my head what numbers they were I think three and eight or so but uh um <laughs> we spoke to them about about exactly all the different things that can lower that threshold um and specifically mm-hmm. on the fibromyalgia episode we spoke about how i think you know deepak used the analogy of of a of a light switch around the back of your uh, uh one of those automatic lights that goes off and he said uh, you know some things you know a leaf will set off that light going off the going off in the patio you know and other days it takes a hot tree falling down to kind of really set off that light, and you know what lowers that threshold can be, you know, numerous It takes a long time to get to the bottom of that.
2: Yeah. And I'm glad you've spoken to Derek about it cause he can explain it much better than me. Um, but I would say everything that, all that, um, that type of things, what we call the, the biological social psychological factors applies to everything I'm saying as well.
1: Absolutely. Brilliant. So should we talk then next about kind of the history of sciatica? Um, now, I know something that you've spoken about before and there's a fascinating um, experiment with a, a piece of thread and it might sound a bit sadistic <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> um, so do you want to talk about, about, you know, when did we know that, you know, sciatica was a problem with yeah. a nerve, you know, as opposed to anything else or, you know, and we'll use that. And then I think we'll go on to the different terms that get that get, get used sciatica to, after, afterwards.
2: Yeah. Surprisingly recently that we've sort of discovered um, what causes um, nerve root pain. So what causes nerve root pain? Um, the, obviously people have had this since the, you know, the dawn of time, right? The, in, in the Bible, um, there's reports of people having, um, what sounds like, uh, nerve root pain. Um, and in the, uh, in Shakespeare, they use the word, that word sciatica as well. Um, but it's not until the 20th century that we kind of got a good handle on exactly what causes it so if we if we kind of come back we kind of imagine ourselves in sort of 1920 beginning of 1930s most sort of orthopedic surgeons most doctors know that um, sciatica or you know nerve root pain you can see already i'm stumbling over the right words to use because yeah. it is a problem in this field we're, we're, maybe we can get on to that later i'll say nerve root pain for now so it is,
1: for now, when, you, when you're when you referring to nerve root pain, you're talking about mm. the classic pain that people get of sciatica, which is that pain from the back all the way to the big toe or just to the hamstring or just mm. in the calf. It's that horrible pain down the leg. So mm. We'll, mm. F- for now, we'll, we'll, we'll use sciatica interchangeably with nerve root pain. I think we'll come on to yeah, the different yeah. nomenclature, I think, afterwards. Uh,
2: okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we imagine ourselves kind of in the 1920s, 1930s, most people know that I'll go for sciatica, uh, has something to do with the nerve, um, but we're not really sure what. Is it like an infection? Uh, is it something to do with lack of circulation? Like, who knows? Um, and even in the kind of 19, beginning of the 1930s, you can see in the, in the literature that people, uh, orthopedic surgeons, are, are operating on people's spines and they're finding uh, in the spine what they call kind of this white gunk. So, this whitish kind of clear material or maybe it would be kind of slightly cream colored or and they don't really know what it is um, and they're thinking maybe this is from the disc so maybe it's from the the kind of shock absorber uh, that you have in your spine but even at that point they they're kind of finding it hard to work out and put the two together then we move into the 1930s and that's where you kind of get this realization that actually very often sciatica is caused by problems with the disc. Uh, and I think it's maybe a, a good point to pause and do another very brief anatomy lesson. Please do. Discs are funny as well because kind of every before I became a physio, I think I knew what a disc was. It's kind of one of those things that most people have a pretty decent idea of what it is. So in between the bones in your spine, you've got these uh, shock absorbers and for kind of complicated biomechanical reasons they kind of distribute the force through your spine and and they're made of tough stuff so they're they're very strong um, but they do have a kind of a bit more watery content in them uh, which helps them to act as as shock absorbers there's this concept of a a slipped disc and so often you hear people say I've slipped a disc in my spine that type of thing it's a bit of a funny term, slip disc, because I don't think it accurately describes what's going on. When I hear the word slip disc, and I try and remember what what I, what I thought of it before I became a physio, before I did my training, I think it was something very dramatic. So I imagine that disc almost slipping out completely, uh, going to a completely different space. It sounds awful to me, like something is completely out of place in your body. It's quite a frightening term. Um, So I think it's possibly not the most helpful thing, the word, to use, slip disc. But we do know that discs can be injured, um, so they can get small tears in them, uh, and the the material inside can leak out through the tears. Mm. Or they can have uh, herniations, which is when the material inside leaks out a bit more, basically, and it ends up in and around the nerve roots. So although they stay in place and they're kind of fixed and they'll always do their job, they're always going to do their job for you. They can, um, be become, as I say, herniated. So the material inside them can come out the disc. Um, and that material just to come back to the history lesson, um, they've kind of started to discover in the 1930s that material uh, can really irritate your nerve root. So it can be really irritable to nerves. It can press on the nerves and crowd them out so that they kind of lose their blood supply and kind of get inflamed but also just the material itself is not very nice it's kind of it causes the nerves to become inflamed So that's kind of in the the 1930s they kind of recognized that the the disc uh, is a very common cause of nerve root pain because it can the material can come out the disc and it can compress the nerves. I think one of them, the kind of thing you were alluding to about the the really interesting experiment, that was the 1950s, I want to say towards the end of the 1950s. It takes a little bit of time to explain, but I'll I'll go for it. There were two surgeons, uh, Smith and Wright. And by this point, the uh, operation to ease nerve root pain was quite common. So surgeons had worked out that if someone has sciatica, that's very often because their nerve root is being compressed and it's very often because their nerve roots being compressed by a bit of disc material. Okay. Mm. Uh, So they'd worked out that a reasonably successful, not perfect, but reasonably successful way to help this is to um, put them under an anesthetic, um, make an incision in their spine and take out that disc material. And very often those patients would feel better, and I'm sure there's people listening who have had that operation or discussed it with their doctor because <laughs> we still do it today.
1: That's a discectomy, isn't it? Or
2: absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but the, the these two surgeons, Smith and Wright, they were they were thinking, you know, there's something missing here in the picture. We 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 don't really know everything about nerve root pain. Uh, so they did this really interesting experiment where they took the patients who had this operation. They did the operation, but they added one extra step. So while they'd kind of opened up the spine, they took a piece of thread and they tied that thread, looped it around that nerve root. Okay, So they looped the thread around the nerve root uh, and they left the two ends of the thread uh, out in the outside world and stitched up that person. So there's this situation. You could never get ethics for this today. They'd never be able to do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we'd be grateful that they did back then because it does help us to understand these things. This uh, loop of thread round the nerve root inside the person's body. So the nerve root is still in place, of course, but the two ends of the thread are kind of hanging out the back. They give those patients a couple of days to recover. And because it's a reasonably good operation, although we'll come on to that later, almost all of the patients felt um, somewhat better, either hundred percent better or mostly better. This is when they, the next stage of the experiment kicked in, which is that they took the, with those patients, they took the end of that thread and just gave it a gentle tug. So they're tugging on that nerve root, which had been irritated before in that patient and the patients described exactly the same pain as they had had uh, a few days ago before their operation. So they were able to recreate those patients' sciatica just by tugging gently on that nerve root. Okay. So straight away, that's quite interesting because they weren't yanking that thread. You know, they weren't squashing the nerve massively. They were just using the thread to contact gently that nerve root, give it a little bit of stimulation. Uh, and that was causing those patient patients' sciatica again. The really clever thing they did is they would also do the same thing, let's say, on the other side uh, to the other nerve roots or to nerve roots uh, above the one that had been irritated. So what we are just kind of normal nerve roots, nerve roots that have not been compressed by a disc, they're perfectly healthy, they're fine. So they tied the bit of thread around those nerve roots as well. And when they tugged on those nerve roots, patients didn't really feel anything. Maybe it felt a little bit of dull sensation, but they didn't get any pain. And they could yank those roots really hard. They didn't get any pain. So they discovered that in the nerve roots that had been painful before, even though that compression has been eased, the operation's been a success, the disc's been taken away, it just takes a little bit of contact, a little bit of movement from that bit of string to start everything up again but in nerve roots that have been perfectly fine for that patient's whole life, you can tug on them all they want and they don't get any pain at all. So they discovered that it's not just the compression that's causing the pain. It's something else that nerve root is somehow irritated or inflamed. It's pissed off. It's grumpy. It's unhealthy. It's injured, whatever words you want to use. And this is a huge leap because I think even today, there's this sense that people with sciatica they feel like that nerve is being compressed and squashed all the time. Um, But we know it's not just about that. Sure. That often can be part of the story, but in addition, that nerve becomes, as I say, inflamed, sore, injured, unhealthy. Mm. Um, And that maybe as we go forward in the conversation starts to explain a lot of the more weird and wonderful symptoms, like I say, people whose MRI is fine but they still have pain, that type of thing, and it also gives us other ways that we can um, help people with sciatica, right? Because if you have um, something uh, compressing your nerve, then if I have, you know, if I had if it was in that situation, I would want someone to go in there and cut it out. Um, but we know that that's not the only problem. As I say, not only is a nerve compressed, it may not even be compressed, but it's also inflamed and injured and that we can help yeah. with. Is that, how is that for an explanation? No, That's,
1: that's brilliant. And it's, that's that's the story which i i I explain not as well as that but you know i (laughs) attempt to explain to a lot of my patients and the analogy which i kind of use and you can let me know what what you think is it's almost like that nerve is a bit sunburned you know you go out into the you go out into the into the sun and you spend the whole day in the sun and you come back in in the evening and your skin is sore it's pink it's red Um, it's a bit pissed off really it's a bit annoyed Mm -hmm. you've taken away that the you know the problem which was the sun so the sun was was irritating your skin you've come out of it however it's still sore and it's still irritated and when you touch it it's sore and it, and it becomes sore in and, and you know, painful if you get in a hot shower again that's not the sun but you're doing something else that irritates it so your pain comes back again mm-hmm. and those analogies mm-hmm. you know I find quite useful for patients in pain mm-hmm. who they're like well, well I've had the discectomy and you know I, I you know they're not 100% success surgeries you know, a lot of patients have the the pressure taken off of it and then they're like, they, they might still have episodes of sciatica at a later date, maybe immediately, mm. maybe you know a few years later. And there's no obvious compression there. There's nothing on an MRI scan to indicate this. So I think understanding that nerves almost learn to be annoyed and there's lots of different yeah. <laughs> tactics to undo it, you know, with, you know, mm-hmm. removing the compression just being one tool out of many that we can use to help alleviate mm. some of these horrible symptoms that people experience.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Can I give another analogy? Please do. And this Absolutely. this is this is not perfect analogies never are this is my friend Rob told me this one uh, it's a good way of understanding what I just described is that if, if you if you were to put a finger in your eye now touch your eyeball it it's not very nice but it doesn't hurt you know it doesn't hurt whereas if you've just been cutting up some chilies and you put the same finger in your eyeball it's gonna really bloody hurt it's extremely sore so that tells us that you know our our body is pretty tough it can stand up to compression but it's that kind of irritation that it really doesn't like and if you take that finger away it's still going to hurt and it's probably going to hurt for five or ten minutes you might have to wash your eye out and take care of it so again it comes back to what we were talking about with the mri doesn't it like it tells us part of the story but there's all sorts of much more kind of uh i want to say complicated but um yeah, it is. It's more complicated things going on to kind of irritate and make our body sensitive.
1: And then and we can do stuff about that. D- does that also explain why, you know, again, this might be a going to the weed slightly, but it's an interesting aside is that, <laughs> you know, that nerve, not only does it le- learn to be annoyed kind of at the spine, um, it can also be extra sensitive along the path of it. So, you know, that nerve, you know, into the buttock, you know, it runs down the back of the hamstring behind the knee down to the foot. also then a bit more sensitive there so you know other Mm. issues can almost you know come to light when someone's got you know sciatica as a cause of an irritation in the spine um that can almost often get misdiagnosed for other things because that nerve is irritated Mm. you know we like to call it you know potentially double crush syndrome and a few different words like that but uh, yeah it it does that nerve learns to be sensitive and annoyed and you know gets annoyed at other places in the body Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you you touched on two interesting things there and and one is Sciatica, if, if you again, if you look it up in a textbook or you search for it on Google Images, you'll get what I like to call classic sciatica. You get like a line of pain down the back of your leg, as you described into your big toe or the side of your foot. Um, and there'll be like an electric shot shooting pain all, all the way down your leg. Um, that's, as I say, classic sciatica. Because the body's a bit weird, sometimes it does feel really different to that. Sometimes it's down the front of your leg. Sometimes it's just in a patch on your shin or a patch in your buttock. Um, And that's one of the things that, as I described in in the previous, um, sorry, in the um, experiment from the 50s that I just described, they found that as well, that if you kind of just gently tug on a nerve root, sometimes it it doesn't cause a shooting pain. It will just cause an isolated pain in in your buttock or in your shin type of thing. Just to make it Um, even more confusing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and... That's why kind of I was stumbling around a little bit before when I was saying how complicated it is when we try and use the word sciatica to describe these things. Um, and maybe we can come on later about like how we as, as clinicians can try to differentiate between them. But the other thing you said that's really interesting is this idea that um, yeah, the nerve, we talk about the nerve root, but it's not isolated. The, the whole nervous system is a network. Everything's really tightly connected. Um, so for example, if, as I said, the nerve can become inflamed and when I say inflamed, probably the, the best way to think of it is if you've ever twisted your ankle or, or seen someone who's twisted their ankle, it becomes red and swollen and sore. So the nerve can become a little bit like that, basically inflamed, um, which is a good thing, right? I mean, it's, it's the reason your ankle swells is it's trying to heal itself and usually it goes quite well. So the nerve becomes inflamed in kind of reaction to to being compressed or uh, something from the disc. But that inflammation can spread. Uh, So as you said, it can spread down your leg um, so that the the nerve itself becomes unhealthy in your leg, which is kind of crazy to think about, but it happens. And it can spread into your spinal cord, so into that highway as well. Um, And it's worth emphasizing that's not it's quite scary the way i said it like oh, oh my goodness it's spreading through my body um but that's a very normal kind of thing to happen like if, if i burn my finger then that inflammation can spread from the area that it's burned it's all part of your body just protecting and healing itself um so i wouldn't want that to sound too scary but as you say um it it's just really uh i don't know, interesting and probably quite important to think that this is Something that uh, where the sensitivity can spread, yeah, through through that network of your nervous system, which starts to account for some of the more strange symptoms that we get. And as I said before, about even th- things that you wouldn't expect to, like sleep and stress, can can trigger the pain. That starts to explain that as well.
1: No, it's so true. And and it, it's a it is a, a massive topic. You know, as I said, this is you you can dedicate years to this. You know, Google, <laughs> Google sciatica, and you'll get you know however many billion billion articles on it you know it's because it's something that because it can take over your life and i think that's what you know people listening um who are suffering from sciatica it is you know and what we call that classic sciatica which is that nerve root pain you know there's no pain like it you know regularly Mm. people will say they'd rather go through childbirth again you know we've had patients you know we all have one of our patients who we've seen lying on the floor of the reception when we go out to get Mm -hmm. them and it is truly truly miserable different to any other pain which you can experience you know the the ankle sprain analogy you know although you know as he said that can be very painful the pain level is you know much more severe and mm. you know the people who really have 10 out of 10 pain are often these sciatica type patients mm.
2: yeah absolutely and it goes back to what i was saying about nerves are tough but they're very very sensitive um because they're so important basically i mean you know as i say nerves do absolutely vital work for your body they tell you what's going on in the world and they help you move your body in the world and I think that's probably why they're particularly sensitive uh, because as I'm sure Derek would have described one of the reasons we have pain is to to tell us that something wrong might be happening so that we can do something about it so nerves have quite a low pain threshold they're very sensitive because we wouldn't want to miss a problem in in our nerve if that makes sense. I mean, you can get a paper cut and not realize that's fine, um, but you don't want to miss something in your nerve. Uh, so as I say, they are strong and it doesn't, it takes a lot to damage them. They can be very sensitive. And yeah, certainly in my experience, people with sciatica tend, not always, absolutely. Sometimes it can be very mild um, and just like a an annoying pain, but sometimes it can be really devastating, horrible pain. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, possibly a bit of solace there as well guys for those of people who have sciatic symptoms who have sciatica um but it's not the same as greg down the road who has sciatica
2: yeah, yeah.
0: and he says oh no no my, mine's in the back of my leg yours isn't sciatica it's in the front or it's in your hip or your buttock um it, it doesn't have to be a very strict set or a very um uh sort of a strict boundary of pain it can be different um i think that can be with something like sciatica which is more of an umbrella term or um, uh, an overall terminology it's tough because your sciatica might not be the same as the next person in the waiting room or the person down the road or or sitting across from you Um, it doesn't mean that yours is not legitimate doesn't mean that it's wrong it's just a different um, uh, different area of irritation a different uh, a different outcome from possibly a very similar input Mm -hmm. yeah so don't worry
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah good point well put
1: so um we met i know we've, we've thrown that term around nerve root pain um and it's there are lots of other terms that people may have seen on letters to their doctor you know letters between consultants maybe on mri reports you know people have got lots of different uh terms which are used interchangeably should we discuss some of the terms you know if i list off a few you know which people will be aware of are things like nerve root pain radicular pain mm-hmm. or radiculopathy um you know, referred pain. There's a lot of things that people have heard of, but aren't quite sure what the differences are. And they can all kind of be lumped under this sciatica umbrella. Um, mm. So I don't know if we want to break down a few of those and then we can go a little bit into then causes afterwards.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad Dave said umbrella term, because that's a really good phrase. Um, so for sciatica, kind of covers a lot of different things. It's a, a little bit vague. Um, and I think we've kind of alluded to that already. Um, we've also mentioned that phrase Nerve root pain, um, which is a really nice phrase um, because it describes uh, as closely as possible, pretty much exactly what the problem is. You know, because of insult or an injury to the nerve root, you have pain. But for some reason, it's actually not that common. Uh, it does you you don't really see it in medical notes for whatever reason. The more common term, um, maybe just because it sounds more clever, is uh, radicular pain or radiculopathy, and. Uh, we can kind of tease apart what both of those mean essentially it's Latin for nerve root pain so that radic just means root uh, it's the same as like if you look at a radish it's it's just it's got long roots uh, So it's that same word um, and radicular pain is just almost like the Latin way of saying nerve root pain um, so there's a problem in your nerve root and it's causing all those symptoms we described before um, And uh, as I say, probably the reason that we say it is because it sounds a bit more fancy. Um, And so we use that in in medical circles. Ridiculopathy um, refers to something that we actually haven't really spoken about before. Um, And it's a little bit different to radicular pain. As people will have noticed, it has the same um, prefix. So the start of the word is the same radic. And that just refers to the nerve root. So we're still talking about the nerve root. The suffix, the end of the word, um, is opathy. And opathy means when something's kind of broken or there's a lack of something. So we use this word radiculopathy to mean when there's a problem at the nerve root, which stops that nerve from working properly. So up till now, we've been talking about pain, which is when the nerve is almost like working too much, right? It's, as I say, it's sending off all these signals that you don't want, causing you this horrible pain. But when the nerve is injured or unhealthy, it might not only be painful, but it might stop working as well. And that's what we call a radiculopathy. So as I said before, the nerve does two different jobs, basically. It tells you what's going on in the world. So if you stub your toe, uh, or if someone brushes your leg, um, then a signal will go up through that nerve to your brain, and your brain will work out what's happening. That's job number one. And if the nerve is irritated uh, or unhealthy, then it might not send that signal up to your brain as well. It might not send that signal up to your brain as clearly. And a lot of people with sciatica might have noticed or might have been examined by a physiotherapist or a chiropractor that they have a patch of numbness or a patch of loss of sensation in their skin. Uh, And that's often because, uh, as I say, that signal is going up properly, but when it gets to the nerve root, uh, the nerve root isn't working as well, and the signal doesn't get to your brain as well. Um, so you kind of you can't feel stuff as well, which can be can be quite odd. It's quite common actually, and not in itself not something to worry too much about because you know we'll get onto this. But the nerve can heal pretty well a lot of the time. And job number two that the nerve does, as I said before, is it sends signals down from your brain to your muscles. And that's the other way that it can lose function. So if you imagine that signal coming down from your brain, down the spinal cord quite happily, when it gets to that slip road, that nerve root, there's a problem there and it doesn't get through. And you might find that, say, you you can't stand on your tiptoes quite as well. Um, usually your physiotherapist or your chiropractor will examine the strength of your muscles and you'll find that in the side where you have pain, it's a bit weaker. And that's because that that signal isn't getting down properly. Uh, and as I said, that in itself is nothing to worry about. It's something that we would want to keep an eye on, but it's reasonably common and not something to worry about and all kind of part of the package of the kind of strangeness of nerve pain. You know, the, the nerves not only become painful, but stop sending signals, stop doing their job properly. And that's what we call a radiculopathy. Um, so we have a, like a different word to describe the, the loss of function, like the, the fact that the nerve isn't doing its job properly.
1: So you've got these inter- these these terms. So when someone has the, what we use the classic sciatica, when they come and see me, come and mm-hmm. see you, they've got that pain, which is that, you know, medically known as the nerve root pain. So the pain that comes from that, you know, base of that, or the end of the start of the nerve all the way down the leg. And that pain might go anywhere in the leg. So that might go down the back, the side, the front. It might go towards the toes. It might stop at the calf. It might just stop at the buttock. And that's the nerve root pain within the radiculopathy side of it which a lot of a lot of the time people might think means pain is actually the loss of anything so that can be the loss of the strength or it can be loss of the the, the touch the feel the sensation the temperature and the foot um you know all of that so we've got these two terms which yeah, you know, often get into in used interchangeably people might think Oh, i'll have a lumbar radiculopathy uh, meaning that mm-hmm. it's the lower back and assume that that means pain when actually you can have a radiculopathy without nerve root pain and you can have a nerve root pain without radiculopathy so it's uh or both or none so uh, <laughs> yeah
2: yeah <laughs> yeah so one refers to the the pain or the extra added pissed offness um and one refers to the loss of function so the the nerve not doing stuff properly so they almost refer to opposite things and as you said a lot of the time they overlap so people have pain and loss of function um, but sometimes people have pain Without loss of function, and then we can just say ridiculous pain. And sometimes people have loss of function without pain. Uh, classically, for example, you know the pain has subsided, uh, but they still have a little bit of weakness in their calf or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then we call it radiculopathy. Uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting, like to think these things through because it helps you see things from different angles. Um, but I also I don't think it's the end of the world if you get these words wrong for a second or um, in my opinion um, it's interesting to think about but maybe um, I wouldn't worry too much if say you've got a physio who's said one of them but you think it might be the other sometimes we just use them interchangeably you know it's not the end of the world
1: so do we know why that uh, one patient you know say for example someone has that compression which could be from you know a disc bulge or disc herniation do we know that why one person might get pain but no pins and needles? And some people might just get pins and needles and numbness and weakness with very little pain. Do we know what changes uh, <laughs> to cause that? Or is that too big, a, too big a question?
2: It's it's a really interesting question. I hope I can answer it usefully. I think it's going to be quite a vague answer. But because at the end of the day, if we kind of zoom out to the 10,000 feet level, we don't know why people get some people get pain and some people don't. Like pain is just weird like that, you know. You can bruise your leg and not why, not know it until the next day. Different people have different, um, you know, your kind of physiology, your biology is unique to you, and so different people will have different levels of pain sensitivity and so on. Um, but on a, if we kind of just focus on the nerve root, the there are different, there are as you kind of allude to different things that cause pain and different things that cause. The loss of function and and often those you see all those things together and some of them overlap and are the same things but for loss of function some of the things that would cause that would be um, actual so actual damage to the uh, kind of inside bit of the nerve Uh, so one of the things we haven't said is that nerves send electrical signals Um, that's how they work and just like wires and like wires they have their own insulation um, and they have extra levels of protection and connective tissue around them, which is, uh, but when the kind of the really internal bit of the nerve that carries that electrical electrical signal, when that's injured or compromised, that's when you can start to get the loss of function. Also, if there's particular swelling in the area or if the nerve is particularly compressed, then that can inhibit the conduction of the, those electrical signals. Um. So there are kind of a their own set of things that can compromise the electrical conduction in the nerve um, that can cause the loss of function, which are overlap but are slightly different to the things that can cause pain.
0: Um
2: so as I said before, in any one person, like we don't know, like I don't have microscopic x-ray vision. Um, but Damn certain it. things <laughs> like <laughs> like inflammation, <laughs> for example, can cause the nerve to become more irritable um and cause that pain the nerve canal ha- i'm wondering how much depth to go into so the nerve can also have kind of if you think about um if i were to uh, if i touch my fingertips i'm touching my fingertips off a table now um and all the little nerve endings in my fingertips are sending a signal up to my brain uh, because in my fingertips in the nerve endings in my fingertips i have uh, little channels that open and close, little gates, basically, uh, that will set off that electrical signal. There aren't supposed to be any of those little gates in my nerve root, uh, which is why, when you think back to the experiment before, if you tug on your nerve root and it's healthy with that bit of string, you can't feel anything. So you're not, it's not really supposed to feel anything. Uh, but when it's injured or inflamed, for, for, you can get those gates popping up in the nerve root and all of a sudden your nerve root acts like a fingertip and becomes really, really sensitive. And so that's kind of another one of the reasons that you might get kind of pain, like extra weird sensations is those those little gates turn, uh, turn up in your nerve root and it almost acts like a nerve ending, like a fingertip and becomes more sensitive. Um, so I don't know if I've answered your question very well. No. But yeah, there are different processes going on, like on a microscopic level that cause those two things.
1: And, and that can change depending on people's biology. So two people can have the exact same injury. But as we said, one can have that numbness with very little pain and one can mm-hmm. have severe pain and no numbness. And it sounds like mm-hmm. a little part of that depends on how bad that you know severity is. But that doesn't mean it's any worse. It just means that you might have different symptoms to somebody else at kind of at that time yes yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. but you're but you're not concerned (laughs) yeah Yeah. 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 but but it's not so what we're trying to come across is that people listening you know if you have severe pins and needles it's not any more severe than someone that's got severe pain or vice versa someone that's got severe pain doesn't mean it's any worse or you're any worse off than than anything else you might feel worse off but it doesn't Mm. mean there's more damage um been done or anything like that
2: yeah and i think that's an important important just to kind of get get myself back on ground that people actually understand. That's an important point as we talk about management and treatment as well, is that the damage and pain are two very different things, uh, as Derek will have said on the previous podcast, and that goes for this too. Uh, so yes, some someone can have a lot of pain um, and their nerve cannot be particularly damaged per se and vice versa, yeah. Uh,
0: I was gonna say that that brings us, um... Uh, rather neatly into management and treatment. Um, so someone's listening to this podcast, Tom, I've got a sciatica, help me, <laughs> what do I do? Um, where's the first step?
2: So let's see, for someone who has a uh, recent onset sciatica, let's say a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, um, you started getting these horrible symptoms. The first thing I would say is to remain optimistic sciatica very often gets better by itself like it doesn't need any special treatment you just need to make sure you kind of look after yourself and it gets better by itself we talked about um, problems with the disc so the disc can leak this irritating fluid onto your nerve or the disc can herniate some of the material onto your nerve or if you have arthritis it's a slightly different thing that we might come back to but If there's a problem with your disc, just like if you've got a paper cut or a torn muscle, your body can heal it. Your body knows how to deal with that. So it's bloody painful. um, But if you give it time, we can be optimistic um, that your body will deal with it and your pain will gradually subside. So that's the first thing I would say is people should remain optimistic. um, And they should, um, I would say, look after their health in just a general way. And it doesn't sound like terribly fancy advice, but if your body is injured, you know, essentially, um, if it's sore, uh, if there's kind of inflammation in your body, it will probably help to do things like um, make sure you get some sleep, um, make sure that you don't put yourself in too much of a stressful situation, or if you do, take care that evening to kind of relax. Just look after your general health and make sure your body is a nice, healthy garden where, you know, that nerve can recover. And your body can do the job of cleaning up, you know, whatever is irritating it. And in terms of uh, exercise and movement, uh, I would say if you're in a great deal of pain, of course, don't feel like you have to do anything. You don't have to go to the gym. You don't, you know, take, take it easy on yourself in the first few days. But I would say that for uh, the vast majority of people, even if you're in a lot of pain, you will be safe to move and exercise um, as well. So we know from uh, experience clinical experience but also uh, studies in poor little rats and mice but even very injured nerves you're absolutely safe to uh, exercise them as well and I would say if you can possibly bear it it's great to keep moving even if you're just kind of going for a walk around the block uh, keep moving and and keep the blood flowing so that you can keep that nerve nice and healthy because uh, just like you know muscles joints ligaments nerves like to move as well they nourish themselves through movement so very, the very bog standard advice is stay optimistic um, because usually this thing gets better. Look after your general health uh, so that you give your body itself, as we talked about, your nervous system as a whole network, give your body itself the right environment to look after itself and calm down and stay healthy. Um, and don't punish yourself. There's no need to kind of, you know, put yourself in tears in the gym or anything, but keep moving. N- nerves, even painful nerves like to move. That's the bog standard advice. The slightly, the important, but slightly depressing angle on that is not everyone will get better. Um, and that's is a really difficult thing to talk about. That if, if I... We don't know the exact proportion. So I wish I could say to people like you have one in 20 chance or one in five chance. of it. We don't know the exact proportions of people who have a recent onset of sciatica who will still have it at a year later or two years later. But we know and there'll be people listening and we've all seen them in, in clinic. We know these people exist. Sometimes it doesn't get better. And often it's not because the person has done something wrong. Often it's not because they've been given the wrong care or their doctor's an idiot or anything. It's just, as you say, Dave, before, things are not fair sometimes. And the the body can get really sensitive and sore. So that's the kind of slightly depressing caveat to if you have acute, if you listen to this and you have acute sciatica. As I say, stay optimistic. Most people get better. But as we kind of move on to thinking about people with chronic pain, sometimes it takes a bit of a, a, mental, a mental shift um, into considering that, you know, hey, this has been going on for, I don't know, four or five months now. It doesn't seem to be getting better. We can still be optimistic. We should still be trying to do stuff about it. But at the same time, I would start to make that mental shift into thinking this, I might be in this for the long haul. Uh, so if you've stopped uh, doing stuff that you enjoy because you're waiting for your sciatica to go away and it's been four or five months and you haven't you know, been to the gym or you, know, you haven't been back to work or something, that's when I would start thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't be waiting for it to go away and I should be working with my chiro or my physio or my osteopath so that I can start doing the things I enjoy, even though it looks like this pain isn't going to go away by itself as we'd hoped in a short amount of time. Have I explained mm-hmm. that that well?
0: Absolutely.
2: I hate to give people a too optimistic message, and, and I think in early days it's really important to be optimistic. You know, I've had an episode of Sciatica myself that cleared up in a few months, and I'm absolutely fine, except, as I say, I can't forget about that MRI. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... We also need to be really realistic and honest with people, which is that there are people who have chronic sciatica. Uh, and for those people, we need to help them to ha- live the best life that they can and make sure that they get the right treatment too.
1: And that, But also yeah. that is the rarity, I guess, you know, in terms of yes. the people with it. So it is a bit of an old wives tale that, you know, sci- you have sciatica, you always have sciatica, mm. you know, and mm-hmm. we've all heard patients say that. And, but you know, as much as yes, there are some people that you know might suffer suffer for the long term. That mm. is the 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 by far the very very small percentage of people. Um, however, we you'll always have that bias, that selection bias. You will always hear mm-hmm. about the people that don't get better because they're the people yes. who are featured on television programs mm. or who you mm. know your neighbor's mother's brother-in-law, you know, who's always been laid up in bed because of his his back's always bad. The people that have you know three weeks of acute sciatica. And then it goes away generally don't really report it on facebook um Mm. or Mm. or, you know or don't (laughs) report it that makes it sound but you know don't announce it um so you don't hear about these so you always will be biased towards hearing the negative um as opposed Mm -hmm. to the positive Mm -hmm. so that's another important message i guess to kind of take away from it
0: i've heard quite often as well oh it can't have been um i had leg pain but it wasn't sciatica because it went away
1: Oh
2: really? <laughs>
0: um, and it's sort of yeah, a, yeah that, that mentality of sciatica state. So, mm-hmm. well, you had leg pain, yes, but it can't have been sciatica because it was only yeah. there for a month.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, <clears throat>
0: yeah. Um, yeah, just to, to chip in. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, what in terms no, of absolutely, and sorry, Rob, I just wanted to echo. Yeah, and it's difficult to know whether, as I say, that if you have a acute, so recent onset sciatica, I would say don't worry too much and especially if if you've got this kind of image in your head of sciatica being this chronic lifelong condition that just gets worse and worse and worse that's true for a minority of people and you should still be optimistic in the early days that you're in the majority and you'll it will it will go away it may come back and go away once or twice more over your life um but i would still hope people are optimistic in the early days yeah but i just hate to give an over optimistic message because i don't want to be like a snake oil salesman you know and just promise people well, let's not fine. forget
0: tom the listeners of this podcast have your magic steps uh <laughs> maybe i shouldn't say magic but they they have the tom jesson patented steps now um we've got increase in sleep we're making sure we're recovering properly we're going to decrease stress mm-hmm. we know that our general health has to be in a better place. I love that analogy of, uh, of you know, uh, was it a nice garden for yeah. that nerve, uh, you know, a nice place for that nerve to heal up. If we can do all of that, if we can create a better environment within ourselves for our body, like I said, to do the work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the, hopefully the chances of you being in that, uh, that that small category of people who don't get better fast or who, who do not get quick relief from these symptoms, um, hopefully you're not gonna end up in that category. Do everything you can to avoid that category take these steps you heard it here first people yeah
2: Yeah. absolutely yeah because as we said it's not it's it's the um it's the norm it's not the exception it's the norm that your pain is associated with your general health and your general environment and i wonder if it would be interesting to get your perspective as well guys about um again let's say we have someone who has a month you know three, four weeks of uh, recent onset uh, sciatica. It's pretty bad. You know, they bent, maybe they had a bit of a niggling pain for a few weeks and they bent down and flared everything up. I'm wondering, um, in terms of movement and exercise, uh, just to kind of turn the tables a bit and then I'll give my answer, is it's so hard to talk in generalities. Everyone's an individual, absolutely. But what sort of approaches might you take with movement and exercise uh, with, with that kind of
1: person? So with, with me, as you said, the, the first part, again, is very similar to you. It's that reassurance. It's the education around what it is. Um, and then I like to kind of unpack the beliefs that that person has. Um, so a lot of people with sciatica may have had an acute onset. Um, of, of Especially with the initial back pain They bent over to pick something up They sneezed They turned in the car Whatever it might be They often felt that You know They might describe their back go um, mm. And then they get that pain So unpacking their beliefs around What's actually happened I think is the first step And with a lot of patients listening Often that when their back went It's doing a movement So people will be quite fearful of that movement So I like to introduce that movement again Early but in a, in a graded fashion. So for example, mm-hmm. if someone has um, I don't know that we've spoken about this recently as well, Tom is that, you know, if someone bends over doing up their running shoes and their back goes, and it started, what a lot of people will, will mention is it started as you know that horrible back pain. And then over the next few days, it slowly started to creep down the leg until there was no back pain. And the pain was just purely that horrible toothache, electric shock pain in the leg because it went when they were bending forwards they will often then be fearful of doing that movement again. So that's what we describe as, or what we call flexion, that when you're bending forward, imagine rounding off the lower back, that's called flexion of the, of the spine. And people will be very fearful of doing this again. And fear of movement is never a good place to be because as we said, nerves love to move, the body loves to move. So by introducing that movement early and helping reduce the fear, I think is really important. Often when patients have this for a long time, Um, They would have been told historically, you know, don't move, don't bend, don't lift anything. And then we end up with patients, you know, 10, 15 years later who are Mm -hmm. terrified of doing any of these movements. And then it's a much harder job to get them to do these movements. And as we said, it's so important. The spine wants to move, you know, discs and nerves and muscles get rehydrated and we get blood flowing when we move. So, for example, someone bending forward, I would like to do things such as depending on, on how much pain they're in as you said everyone's individual but if we take the person that's 10 out of 10 pain and, and they mm. can't move i'll often do things like side lying bring your knees up to your chest even one knee at a time um, and that movement is you are bending the spine as you're doing it mm. and often you can get that patient to understand that no 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 damage is happening you know in what it might feel like an electric shock when you bend over when you're sit- when you're sitting or when you're standing It's a lot more comfortable when you're lying on your side and then that might progress to lying on your back. And then we might introduce something like a pelvic tilt, which is when you're lying on your back and you kind of press your lower back into the floor and then arch it off the floor and push it back down again, um, which is, again, bending and rounding and arching of the spine. You can do the same thing seated. You can sit down you can bend forward and touch the floor from a seated position. You know, that might be more tolerable than doing it from standing. And then obviously, as we progress through those stages, that can then morph into, you know, at a much later date, you know, deadlifts and kettlebell swings and, you know, pick up your toddler on the floor. You know, a lot of people mm. don't like the idea of doing deadlifts uh, and bending forward, thinking that that is damaging to the spine, but they're perfectly happy to bend forward and pick up their toddler. Um, you know, so, you know, getting them to understand that and doing that in in, in, in my treatment room is, is important ultimately. So I don't know how is that similar, sort of similar that? Uh, to you,
0: Dave. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm certainly uh, rather embarrassingly carbon copy of that. Uh, yeah. Great. A graded introduction of that initial aggravating movement. Um, some, we'll usually dive into some stability esque exercises. Mm-hmm. Whilst we know that's not going to directly affect, um, uh, disc bulge, it will create a better proprioceptive movement and mm. it will encourage a bit more engagement, uh, generally. Um, and some hands-on treatment as well some some uh delving around those surrounding muscles ligaments tendons and uh, and certainly the joints as well um yeah unfortunately um despite the amount of times i've been told it by people we can't delve in there and put that joint uh, uh sorry put that um uh, that disc bulge back in we can't slide it back in um and if we could i don't think they'd want us to do sort of a kali kind of you know <laughs> uh, delve uh into their innards um if only uh but yes yes certainly from from an exterior point of view from a hands-on point of view i like to get into those muscles ligaments and uh yeah improve that movement yeah. nice and nice and simple really how yeah. about you tom
2: yeah i think at the risk of uh, kind of repeating everything in triplicate the the, the basic thing about movement it's just that it's good like the body loves to move it's how how it nourishes itself even if you go for a walk you know you you might not feel like you're doing anything but you're doing something and that nerve is moving and all the uh the kind of the blood's flowing around the nerve and you're washing away that inflammation and that that kind of swelling fantastic um and then you can kind of think of it in two ways can't you you can think how are we going to guide this movement you know as I say, at the end of the day, just doing something is better than doing nothing. But if we want to guide it, what should we think about? And I I like Rob's approach, you know, uh, it's absolutely awful when you see people years later and they they still haven't bent down because that's what hurt it in the first place. And that's a completely natural reaction uh, to to that level of pain. You wouldn't want to try it again. And that's part of our job is to to help you get that movement back. Um, If we wanted to I think in terms of damage, completely agree with both of you. Um, I, I just in respect to the, um, you know, I, I'm not especially, you know, look at the end of the day, I work in the NHS, I'm not seeing people within the week. <laughs> it would be great, but I'm not. Um, but I think it would be uh, not unreasonable after a sudden onset of pain just to forget about that movement and just take a couple of days, just look after yourself. But certainly after a few days, after a week or so. I'm not that worried about damaging the nerve. Your pain threshold is, you know, your your, your pain system is very, very sensitive, um, but I'm not too worried about any damage. I am worried about the pain. I don't want people to to suffer terribly unduly, which is why the kind of the only thing I would add to what Rob said is that as well as helping people to kind of get back into those movements that they're worried about, uh, helping people to um, push that pain barrier a little bit which is a scary thing to do but we you know that needs to happen i think it's also really important to help people find comfortable positions because uh, if, if you've got that sudden recent onset of pain often everything just freezes up and you don't want to do anything uh, but i think it's really uh, important to say well if bending for example hurts then we do want to uh, slowly reintroduce that because it's healthy it's good for the body uh but also we want to find something that feels nice. So maybe you haven't tried lying this way. You haven't tried sitting this way. You want to give someone a comfortable position too, because as we said, it's important to be able to to rest and relax. Um, So again, it kind of comes back to that. It sounds a bit vague. It doesn't sound like much, but um, sometimes you just need these sensible messages to be repeated. You know, Gently kind of poke into the, the painful stuff again. Uh, and also make sure you give yourself a break and a, a bit of an ease if you can find any sort of position of relief too absolutely
1: and it's a bit like that sunburn you know as well it it it's graded exposure you know it's, mm. it's not about you know yes we we want people to move but that doesn't mean as you said you're fine to take a few days to kind of let yourself you know recover to an extent you know and kind of just often when you're in pain, everything seizes up and you don't want to move. So it's okay to take a few days. doesn't mean you have to rush back to the gym on day four and start doing deadlifts. <laughs> uh, and this is where, you know, this is where we come in. You know, this is where seeing an expert can help guide you through that process. And there'll be or there'll always be things which you probably might not have even considered or thought about, which someone can kind of help guide you or help to coach you through. Um, so I think the last kind of coming on from that then before we kind of sum up would be in terms of, seeing a gp for kind of medication um i know obviously your physiotherapy is not a gp but are there you know medications which are better for sciatica than others you know or when do you advise that someone should go and get some pain some painkillers
2: see this is why I, I like this subject so much is because there are no clear answers um <laughs> but it's also why it's really bloody frustrating to from it must be so frustrating for the listener when i i'm kind of going to give a very vague answer again but i'll do my best Sciatica is a kind of nerve pain, um, and there are a special class of medications for nerve pain. So if you kind of go to the uh, NHS guidelines, it will direct you to take special nerve painkillers. Um, and they uh, have names like amitriptyline, pregabalin, and gabapentin, um, and geloxetine as well. So that is the um, kind of textbook answer is they are the best, that they are the go-to medications for sciatica because sciatica is a nerve problem and they're the nerve painkillers. Where that gets a bit complicated is that they are not that effective, basically. Um, Across the board, if you take 100 people with sciatica um, and give them, uh, let's say, amitriptyline, and you take 100 with sciatica and give them a sugar pill, the amitriptyline is not that much better than the sugar pill. So we have to be really cautious about just giving everyone these medications. But there are a lot of people who, it seems to be a subset of people who get a significant benefit from those medications too, and we don't want to leave them high and dry. Uh, So I would say um, when you're talking to whoever it is that's prescribing you the medication, you need to make sure that you have like a success and failure criteria you know these nerve pain medications they take at least three maybe even sort of four five six weeks to kick in anyway so you want to give it that trial Mm. um and you need to be having a a criteria whether it's you know i am able to do this at work or my pain is this out of ten agreed between yourself where if you're not getting that success taper off them don't just stop taking them but taper off them and also look out for the side effects too. Uh, so people can feel confused, lethargic, um, on amitriptyline, gabapentin can sometimes have cognitive side effects, weight gain is a side effect, it can even uh, affect the way you go to the toilet. Uh, and that's something to talk through as a prescriber. I don't prescribe medications. So I think the with the, the neuropathic, so the the nerve medications, unfortunately, they're not hugely effective i would say if you're suffering desperately and you can't work and you can't sleep that's when it's time to talk to a prescriber about them but don't just um don't make the mistake of taking them and then just continuing to take them indefinitely you should have a clear criteria for whether they're successful uh, and you should be making sure there's no side effects and yeah uh, it's just a case of trying to work out if you're in that subset of people who seem to benefit Unfortunately, the, the kind of pessimistic wrapping up of that message is that if you're probably not missing a huge amount, if you're not taking them, unfortunately, there are, you know, some people, sometimes the GPs will prescribe ibuprofen. So an anti-inflammatory, again, the evidence isn't fantastic that they work, um, but if you're in that subset and that's great and they have side effects, but fewer side effects than the anti-neuropathics. And sometimes GPs will even prescribe steroids as well. They'll have had like a, a good experience with them. Um, so for, for medications, um, you know, unfortunately, there's not a, I could, you know, we could have said this up front, there's not a cure for this condition. There are things that we can do to nudge it in the right direction, help it. Um, and it seems there's no reliable way to know who will benefit or even if you will benefit from anything. Um, and if you try, be careful and have that success and failure criteria.
1: That's really important. That? The, the, that's brilliant. That yeah. That's really important, The that success and failure criteria and something which I, I, I maybe I should have mentioned earlier, and I know Dave does as well, is that encouraging patients to almost keep a journal or a diary um, of, you know, call it a pain journal, call it a success journal, whatever, maybe put the positive spin on it rather than negative spin. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's very easy or very easy to forget where you were. Um, and you know sometimes patients will come in and say it's exactly the same but they can they're able to walk further or they're able to sit for longer whatever it might be so documenting that is really really important i think good advice for anyone and that goes for any pain condition really Uh, if you can document where you were you then know what works for you in terms of whether that's a medication whether it's a certain level of movement whether it's more movement whatever it might be Um, keep note of it really Mm
2: -hmm. and and also that the in my opinion, and I don't think this is too controversial, the, the, the medications probably really for acute, so for recent onset. So if you've had like a, a recent onset flare-up, it's to help get on top of that so that you're not suffering desperately. But I, I'd, I'd struggle to think of many people who would argue that they're a good long-term solution to yeah. be taking for months. I, I don't, I don't think that's the way to go.
1: And that goes for any, any pain condition, long-term medication use, you know, there's, there's often a, you know, potentially a better route, but I know there's, there's thousands and millions of different pain conditions. So, you know, we'll save that for another day, I think. But (laughs) so I think that, you know, kind of is a very, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? good overview of sciatica (laughs) you know we've we've touched everything from you know different causes you know to to different symptoms that people get to why they get their symptoms to treatments to medications so we've covered Mm. even the history of it so we've had a you know a really good in-depth look at that um, and appreciate you know the people listening this is a, a long episode um, but a really important episode um, and I think you do a brilliant job of explaining it in a really clear way to patients you know far better than I could mm-hmm. far better than Dave could no offense Dave um, you know, be- better than me <laughs> no, so so thank you <laughs> for, for letting us pick your brain about this and I'm sure lots of patients will also be thanking you from their car from yeah. their bed from their sofa at home wherever people are listening to it so so really truly thank you.
2: Thanks, mate. Can I add one thing? I'm sorry, because I know we've massively, we've gone, it's such a long recording.
1: Oh, no, please do. But
2: I was talking, when we're talking about treatment, we mentioned acute and I was meaning to kind of go on to chronic. So by which, oh, by, yes. which I mean, out. Yeah. Yeah, by which yeah. I mean, acute, just recent onset and, and chronic meaning like you're getting into sort of four or five months, year, two years, ongoing territory. Um, and I don't think anything's like that different except that for acute, as I say, we're, we're, maintaining optimism and we're hoping for it to get better. I mean, optimism that it will go away and th- for chronic, I, I think there's, as I kind of getting on to say that there's a bit of a, there's easy for me to say, cause I don't have chronic pain, but there's a bit of a mental shift there into thinking, well, you know, this isn't going to go away quickly. So how, how am I going to make sure I do th- I'm doing things that are important to me despite the pain. And in terms of physiotherapy, you know, would be, an chiropractic, as they keep adding, would be looking to help you to do that stuff um, and to discover things about the pain in the body that you hadn't realized so that you can kind of um, do things that are important to you and keep on top of it as much as possible. For the role of exercise, I think there's something to be said, again, just redoubling that message about general exercise the body just moving so you just being out of breath uh, sweating a little bit um, let's say you've got leg pain uh, maybe you can walk briskly if you can't walk briskly can you get on an exercise bike if you can't do that can you go swimming um, if you can't do that can you do something with your arms or can you do something with the leg that doesn't hurt Um, you might feel a bit of a wally trying all these different things but you will find something I promise something that can get your heart beating so that you can feel it, something that will get you sweating, get you out of breath, get that blood flow into the nerve, get that nerve moving so it's lubricating itself so it's healthy. Um, it doesn't feel like you're doing the fanciest, most clever exercise in the world, but it's so important just to be doing something. Um, and then there's also particular exercises, as Dave mentioned, that can help. What we haven't talked about is the special nerve exercises. Um, and they have different names. Sometimes we call them neurodynamics, another like, kind of quite a fancy term. Um, I think that's another sort of <laughs> almost impossible to describe on a podcast. Maybe it's something we need to mm-hmm. kind of link to in the show notes. Um, but there are exercises, particularly for nerves, that can kind of glide them and stretch them. Uh, and again, it's a bit like the medications, the outcomes so variable. Some people can take them or leave them, and some people find them absolutely fantastic. Um, and that's uh, they're basically just a really important thing to try. Give it a few weeks, um, explore these neurodynamic exercises to get the nerves themselves moving, um, and uh, as I say, hopefully you'll get a, a lot of benefit from those too. So it's, it's worth making a pitch for those as well
0: absolutely yes uh yeah if you're listening uh we'll put that in the show notes actually some links mm. uh to some fantastic exercises uh we often refer to it as nerve flossing
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, the idea of, of drawing that nerve uh through that troubled area and sort of uh, trying to get it mobile and, and a bit happier again
1: brilliant fantastic. So, so for the second time again then no that was a thank you again You've, <laughs> you have adding more and more gold every time we kind of you know try and stop so that's you know again can't thank you enough, Dave. Anything to end for you any other questions any last points you had while we've got the you know the best person to ask right here
0: absolutely um no do you know what i, I think you've absolutely uh, summed up fantastically and the i think a, a big a big bomb you dropped there and we sort of glanced over it was that the 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 medication is not a cure for this it's not a, a, a um uh, a concept or a condition that can be cured by medication or an input. Um, it's actually by the body healing it itself. The medication creates a, an environment where you feel that pain less, mm. but it, it's not gonna, you don't have to take those pills and then that's it tomorrow. Mm. It, it's not that kind of issue, um, unfortunately so whilst the pills will help to manage the pain the actual the healing the good bit that's got to come from you guys at home uh, so you've got to follow those steps we mentioned earlier uh, uh, the um yeah, the tom jess method create that positive environment around that nerve for your body to heal it keep that exercise up and happy um and uh, yeah get your ass moving you'll be fine
2: is it worth mentioning something about surgery because that's always the thing on people's minds is the the surgery
0: I'm sat down. Or do you want, you want to do like a different topic
2: topic? podcast for that? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, can we give them a teaser, Tom? Can we, uh, can we give good, the good people listening a bit of a teaser and then we'll set up a follow-up on number two?
2: Okay, spinal surgery for back pain is generally a pretty bad idea. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's some exceptions, of course, um, but if you have just ongoing grumbly back pain, um, then certainly in the NHS they tend not to do spinal surgery anymore. Nerve root pain, so sciatica, radicular pain, whatever you want to call it, is an exception in that it is still approved in the NHS that you can go and get that discectomy surgery um, that we mentioned earlier. Uh, and it's approved because it's reasonably effective for some people. Um, it's most effective uh, early on. So if you have pain that's been going on for, you get on to a year, two years, three years, then it's, you know, as we say, your system is very sensitive uh, and it's probable that just cutting a bit out of your body isn't actually going to help that that much. So it's most effective early on if you're suffering desperately as some people do, and it'll probably ease your suffering more quickly. But on average, like kind of after a after a year, so you know when they do these kind of experiments, it will ease your suffering more quickly, but a year later, you'll probably still be in the position that you were, would have been anyway, if you see what I mean. So. Mm-hmm. If you look at it kind of on a long-term scale, the surgery doesn't make much difference. But if you look at it on a short-term scale, it can give you that respite that, as I say, if you're suffering desperately or you can't sleep or you can't work. So, you know, while we, there's more and more finding out that operations are not that effective for lots of pain conditions, uh, they are probably something to think about if you have 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 awful recent onset sciatic pain, and particularly if you're starting to lose your muscle function. Uh, so I think like, again, I think it's totally different podcasts, you know, all that stuff called Requina, serious emergencies, that type of thing. Um, but if you, if you know, if your muscles are getting weaker and weaker, uh, then the, the operation can kind of intervene there as well. So is that a good potted summary of the discectomy? That's perfect.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's oh, solid. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, that's a good, it's a good, it's enough that I said, you can listen, you can understand that. And then as I said, we will, get you back for part two and talk about maybe a bit more specifics of, you know, the, the surgeries and bits like that as well. And we have a whole episode coming up um, with Laura Finnecane on red flags um, for oh, great, as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's hopefully being recorded within the next couple of weeks. So we have stay tuned for the kind of the red flags and the seriousness as well. So we, uh, we've got you covered on, on, on all bases. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And Fantastic. any, any last bits, it
0: first, folks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> any last bits from anyone else? We are all, all questioned out. Fantastic. Question well, out. Tom, where can people find out more about you? Where can people? Are you a social media person? Are you a, a blogger? <laughs>
2: um, I am on Twitter at Thomas underscore Jessen. Uh, I have a newsletter, so every week I write, try and write something new and interesting about nerve root pain, uh, and you can find that TomJessen dot dot com mostly uh, aimed at clinicians, but uh, I should probably be interesting for anyone to listen in. Uh, and if you want to get in contact with me, tomjessen.com is my website. There's not much on there. There's a few little articles that I've done and stuff, but there's a contact form. Uh, and I'm absolutely happy to hear from from anyone. It's hard to give advice about specific things by email. Um, and obviously there's lots of legal problems and stuff um, about giving specific advice but i love to hear from anyone about about this stuff yeah. um, and also sorry just one last thing um not to kind of try and get us onto your turf
1: rock i was going to ask today, you about this actually so i'm glad got, you brought it up i've just yeah. started my own podcast
2: and like what would a modern man Excellent. be without a podcast you know um but mine is much less professional i just basically like chat to people as i would do anyway and but i press record uh, so i don't have like the fancy mics that you guys have uh, but <laughs> um what i'd really like to do is to talk to more people who have nerve root pain who have sciatica um there's one thing to talk to people as a physiotherapist in a clinic but it's another to just to talk one-on-one uh with plenty of time so if you feel like you have a particular story uh, or a particular perspective or you just want to chat help uh, on and we can we can talk about that too fantastic uh, i think that's it
1: brilliant
0: fantastic well there should be a few people uh contacting you from this brilliant
2: yeah i hope
1: so well thank you very much for joining us and thank you for everyone that, that i said listening to this you know in-depth look at look at sciatica um it's a, a fascinating topic which you know we could have spoken for 10 more hours just on you know the nuances <laughs> of it so thank you for sticking around thank you everyone for joining us um if you do have any any queries any questions reach out to us on social media at the Backpain podcast or the back pain pod across all the different uh, all the different socials so thanks very much thanks for joining us guys thanks to dave thanks to tom Thanks for inviting me. It was my pleasure. Thank Thanks you, Rob. No worries. Thank you, Tom. Take care, everyone, and have a lovely evening. All the best.
0: What an episode there. The fantastic Tom Jesson dropping knowledge bombs all about sciatica. I absolutely love that. That was brilliant. If you like what we're doing, please do subscribe to the podcast. And if you really like what we're doing, press share and uh, tell all your friends that you are listening to us. If you have questions about this episode or any episode in general, or if you've got ideas about podcasts in the future, you can find us at The Back Pain Podcast uh, on all social media, and you'll be able to send us a message on there. Fantastic, guys. I look forward to the next one. Thank you again, Tom. Sciatica episode, out.